This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning. I'm going to be reading Acts 24, 22 to the end of the chapter. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, When Lysias the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Thank you, sweetheart. So uh, when I was growing up, and people would ask my generation, what do you want to be when you grow up? We would say things like, I want to be a doctor, or I want to be a lawyer, or maybe I want to be a professional athlete. Uh, Okay, so nowadays things have changed. You ask a junior higher or a high schooler today, what do you want to be when you grow up? Do you know what the most common answer to that question is? A social media influencer. (laughs) That job didn't exist when I was growing up. But I, I get it. There's some real money to be made there. In fact, man, there's some, some serious money. Uh, if you have more than a million followers, and I don't, if you have more than a million followers, some of the posts you post can, can earn up to $250,000 for one post. That's a quarter of a million dollars for putting a picture on Instagram. Uh, some have earned even as much as over a million dollars on a post, depending on who they are and how many followers they have. But here's the problem with social media influences. Do you know that a great amount of them are fake? You know it's possible to actually buy followers? There's a website you can go on to and you can pay a certain amount of money. This, this guy, he did this. He went on, he paid like $120. From that $120, he got 7,500 more followers and 2,500 likes on a post that he has set up on Instagram. So you can pay for being famous, so to speak. But uh, it really came to head when this uh, social media influencer, her name was Natalia Taylor, in, 19, in a, I almost said 1920, in 2020, she had over 2.2 million YouTube followers, and she put all these posts on about this great vacation she was having in, uh, um, uh, sorry, someplace that was really cool, all right? So sometimes getting old, it's hard to get the right glasses on. To, oh, yeah, Bali, Indonesia. So she had all these posts about how her great vacation in Bali, reality was... She was at Ikea, and all these pictures were taken from her being at Ikea, and her thing was, hey, I wanted to show you that you can use the internet to pretend to be anything you want to be. You can pretend to be anything you want to be, even a Christian. It's one of my greatest fears as a pastor, as I'm looking out at a sea of faces this morning, and uh, how many of you, just by quick 
survey here. How many of you grew up in the church? Go ahead and raise your hand if you grew up in the church. Yeah, I'm going to look at that. The vast majority of people here. And so you've heard the language. You know the terminology. You might even know the theology that drives it. Doesn't mean you really believe. And I'm wondering how deep has the gospel actually gone in your life? And that's really the big idea of the day. If you want to write it down, the gospel must go deep. The gospel must go deep in others and in me. So you got Paul in our text, and he's in front of Felix. And it's interesting because the text says that Felix kind of knew the gospel. But Paul spends two years with him reasoning about the gospel. Why spend so much time? Because Paul knew the gospel has to go deep. And I want to challenge you this morning. Let's let the gospel go deep, both in our own lives, but also as we witness. And I want you from the text, pull out kind of three levels of impact the gospel should have. So let's start with this one. The gospel first must convince the head. The gospel must convince the head. And I want to look at verse 22 of Acts 24, Acts 24, verse 22, which says this, but Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, it's interesting he says that. So by way of reminder, the way is what the book of Acts really calls Christianity. More than anything else, it calls it the way. And really compared to the Jewish way, which was the law, and now there is this group of people, sometimes called the Nazarenes, but this group of people who believed that it wasn't the law that was the way, it was Jesus that was really the way. That was the whole point. Jesus was the way. After all, he said, I am the church the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus claiming to be the way that became the name of all these people. And so here's Felix, and he has a knowledge about then Jesus being the way. He had a head knowledge of that for sure. So let me start out with this, because I think it's a really simple statement, but one you really need to understand. Listen, to believe the gospel, you must first understand the gospel. To believe the gospel, you have to first understand the gospel. And Paul leans in and reasons and reasons. And the text says for two years, he kept coming back and reasoning and reasoning. Why? Because he had to, Felix had to understand the gospel. Okay, so I grew up in Washington State. And uh, in Washington State, we're kind of known for coffee. And uh, so this is the culture. It's like everybody there drinks cappuccinos and lattes and espresso. And and so you kind of get caught up in that culture. And if you ask 15-year-old Jamie, hey, do you like espresso? I would say, oh, I love espresso. Well, there was one time when I went to a jazz festival. I know how envious you are right now, but I was at this incredible jazz festival, and I would go tomorrow if I had the opportunity. Can I get a witness? Anybody? All right, a few of you are saved. Uh, but anyway, uh, so I was at the jazz festival, and I went up to the coffee bar, and, and I ordered uh, an espresso. And the barista says, uh, are you sure you want an espresso? I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I love espresso. And I was shocked when he handed me just this little cup filled with this black, probably tar, uh, I'm assuming is what it was. It tasted like tar. <laughs> So even though I would have said I love espresso, I had no real knowledge of what real espresso was. And so, of course, I took it and took a sip, and, you know, you got to play it cool in the moment, like, mm, yep, 
that's what I expected fully. Love it so much. Went around the corner and dumped it out. I mean, it was not what I thought it was. So there was something about knowing, having a knowledge, but there's something different about actually experiencing. And maybe many of us have a knowledge of the gospel, but do we really, have we really experienced the gospel? And I have to wonder that. Because historically, the church has done a pretty bad job of explaining the gospel. And what I'm going to say in the last several decades, we've really done a poor job of laying the gospel out even to children. Because here's some things we'll say. And this is how we get the gospel wrong. Sometimes we'll say this. You need to ask Jesus into your heart. And like that's the gospel, asking Jesus into your heart. Go to the verse that talks about asking Jesus into your heart. And you can search, you can look in your concordance. It's not, nowhere in the Bible. Now, listen, if you explain a whole lot more with that, fine. But if it's just that, that's not enough to save anybody. That's being fond of Jesus. That's liking Jesus. It's not the full gospel. Or Sometimes we hear it this way. You need to ask Jesus into your life. And it's kind of done with selfish motives, or at least that's the debate He's going to make your marriage better. He's going to make your life better. You need to ask Jesus into your life. And I want to say, I want Jesus in your life. But is asking Jesus into your life, is that the gospel? And it really, let me just give you this illustration. If I can borrow Craig for a second. And uh, Craig, let's say that you're on a flight. And uh, I'm going to be your stewardess, the best looking stewardess you've ever had. Can I get a witness? Thanks. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, steward, that's true. Steward, not stewardess, thank you. Uh, all right, so still probably in the best-looking stewardess, too. But anyway, um, so you're on this flight, and the stewardess comes and says, hey, Craig, uh, I want to make your flight better, and I want you to wear this parachute. So I'm going to put this on, and it's going to make your flight better. So I'll strap this on, and, and so, yeah, so there's Craig, and he's on this flight, and he's got this parachute, and it's not very comfortable, and after a while, it really gets uncomfortable. It's back. Don't strap that. Okay. Uh, and, and then people are looking at him like, what are you doing wearing a parachute, dude? And he's, he's not popular anymore, and, and he's, he's uncomfortable, and it's not making his flight any better. And at some point in time, he's going to say, forget this parachute, and he's going to take it off. But now, what if I said to Craig, instead of, hey, this will make your life or your flight better, if I said, uh, by the way, the plane's going down, and we're all going to die unless you have a parachute. (laughs) Exactly. Now, all of a sudden, that parachute is the most precious thing he has in his possession. That's going to save his life. Thank you, Craig. By the way, it's just blankets in here, so he would have (laughs) died. Yeah, you are the best. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Thanks. Got your back. Uh, right, right. Now, has Jesus made my life better? Absolutely. Like, I could not imagine life without Jesus. Has Jesus made my marriage better? Oh, a thousand percent. Courtney and I are who we are now only because of Jesus. But that's a side product of what I really needed Jesus for. I needed him because of my sin. I needed a savior 
because I had turned my back on God and there is a coming judgment. And I desperately need Jesus when that judgment comes. So here's what you need to know about the gospel. I'm going to give it to you this way. We're going to just use our four fingers and we're going to understand the gospel. So here's point number one. God is holy. Everyone do this with me. If you would, get your fingers out. God is holy. The Bible talks about a holy, holy, holy God. And the gospel should be begin with God. It's all about God. God is a holy, holy, holy God. He created everything. He created me. And he created me to walk with him and to live with him and to enjoy him. But I so said, God is holy. Number two, I am not. Everyone say that. I am not. So we're sinners. And the Bible's clear about that. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. It's death. And there's a coming judgment. There is a hell. And because of my sin, that's what I deserve. But, number three, Jesus died for my sin and rose again. Do it with me. Jesus died for my sin and rose again. Jesus died for me. He paid the penalty for my sin and he rose again victorious over my sin. And so fourthly, I will believe. Do it with me, please. I will believe. And the Bible says that it's faith, right? John 3, 16. For God, say with me, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but will have everlasting life. I think that was a hodgepodge of Old King James and New King James and ESV and NIV, but you get the point. Faith in Jesus. Let's go over that again, if you would, please. God is holy. I am not. Jesus died for my sin and rose again. I will believe. That's the gospel. It's way more than just asking Jesus into your heart. You can be fond of Jesus and not admit your sin. It's way more than asking Jesus into your life. You can do that, but for what? To save you from your sin, yes. You need to understand the full gospel. So I just, I don't know, man. I'm looking around the church, and you guys raised your hand earlier. The vast majority of you grew up in a church, but I don't know what you've done with Jesus. I don't know what you really understand. I don't know what you've been taught. And the gospel has got to go deep. You've got to understand the gospel. And there has to be a time in your life when you've called on God to save you. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this, because if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. With the heart, one believes and is justified, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. So when was it for you? I'm not trying to doubt what you did with your mom on your bed when you were four. I'm not trying to doubt that, but I'm wondering, did you really understand the gospel? Did, you, did it really convince your head it can at four, but did it for you. If not, you've got to be sure that that's the case. To believe the gospel, you must first understand the gospel. But then I need to say this. Just understanding the gospel is not enough. Just understanding it is not enough. So Felix, the text says he had a... a more accurate knowledge of the way. More accurate than the original probably is as a comparison to what Paul's accusers had. He knew the way better than they did. Uh, but the reality is he had some knowledge. He knew about Jesus. He knew he was the way. He knew he claimed to be at least. He knew the gospel, but he didn't believe it. When you read this text, it's clear. Felix never believes in Christ. 
So a knowledge of the gospel is not enough. And I say that to a church that's planted within the city of churches. Because there's a really good chance your neighbor probably goes to church or your coworker goes someplace and maybe even to a church that preaches the gospel. But just knowing the gospel isn't enough. It's something you have to believe. Because there's a coming judgment. And Matthew 7 has this very scary statement from Jesus. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many works in your name? Wow, that's a lot of good stuff they were doing. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The question is not what you know. The question is what you believe. And that's true on many levels. It needs to convince the head. Secondly, this, write this down as well. It needs to control the hands. It needs to control the hands. Let me show you where I'm getting this. Several places in the text, but let's start with verse number 23, and let's see it here in Felix's life. It's really interesting. Verse 23. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept, Paul, should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending, according, sorry, attending to his needs. All right, so that's really nice of Felix. He didn't have to do that. Paul was a prisoner. He could have said, no one's seeing Paul and no one's going in. But he's like, no, I'm going to show Paul some kindness. I'm going to show Paul some grace. I'm going to show Paul some mercy and some love. Those are all Christian things. It's interesting, isn't it? Christians should live like Christians, but sometimes non-Christians live like better Christians than Christians do. Is that confusing? I'll try it again. Christians should live like Christians, but sometimes non-Christians live more like Christians than Christians do. Let's take each of those apart, unpack them each, and let's start with this one. Christians should live like Christians. And what, what I want to contend to you this morning, that if the gospel goes as deep as the gospel needs to go, it will change what you do with your hands. It will change your behavior. And I think Paul really argues this in depth in verse number 25. This is really interesting. Let your eyes fall on verse 25. Let me show you this. And as he reasoned, so Paul's reasoning with Felix. And, and as you talk to your unsaved friends and you reason with your unsaved neighbors and you're sharing the gospel, just imagine reasoning how Paul reasoned because it's really interesting the things he reasoned. The text mentions three things, righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. So what was Paul trying to get across to Felix by arguing about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment? Let's take him each at a time. Righteousness. So righteousness actually means living in a righteous way. So let's help, help me out a little bit. Uh, give me some of the Ten Commandments. Someone give me one of the Ten Commandments. All right, don't steal. 
all right? So if I steal, that's not righteous. But if I live in a, a way when I'm not stealing, that's, that's living in a righteous way. Don't covet, someone said. All right, so coveting is, is unrighteous. Uh, but uh, living where, I, where I'm not, I'm, I'm content. And I'm not looking over my neighbor's car and thinking, man, I wish I had that car. You know, like people do with me in my 2016 Chevy Cruze. You know, I mean, I know it's just desirable from, for all of you. But, but I mean, no, so you get the, no coveting. And you can just go through all the rest of them. And like, like, I'm living the way God has asked me to live. I'm living in righteousness. So Paul is talking about, hey, you need to live righteously, Felix. Or better, the gospel is going to mean you're going to live righteously. And then self-control. And we all know what self-control is. There's no big mystery behind the Greek word here. It just means, man, I want to do this, but I'm not going to because God's word says no. Man, I want to eat that entire chocolate cake, but I'm not going to because that'd be gluttony. And God's word says it shouldn't be gluttonous. I want to linger on that picture, but I'm not going to because God's word says that I should guard my heart from that kind of lust. I want to say something right now. <laughs> you ever been there? I just want to say something. Mm, or type something. <laughs> but I'm not going to. Because God's word says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but only that which is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearer. So I'm controlling myself. So again, it goes down to behavior. And then lastly, the coming judgment. There's coming a judgment. So what specifically did Paul and Felix talk about and reason about, uh, about the coming judgment? There's a whole lot you can talk about. Well, we kind of get a clue when we uh, look at other times Paul talks about the coming judgment. And here's a time when he's talking to the church in Corinth about it. So this is 1 Corinthians 3, uh, quite a bit of text here, 10 through 15. But I want you to see the same theme going on here. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else says is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the, you seen the word church? If the work that anyone has built upon the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. But if anyone's, again, work is burned up, he will suffer loss. So he himself will be saved only as through fire. So just think about this, man. Think about the, uh, being in front of the Lord right now. And he's going to take all the things you did this past week month, decade, all the words you said, all the shows you watched, all the thoughts you thought, all the motivations you had in living, and all of that gets put to the fire. What's going to come back as gold, silver, and precious stones, and what's just going to be burned up? And so in all his reasoning with Felix, Paul is saying, this is going to change your life. You're going to live differently because of the gospel. In fact, Paul says this to the church in Corinth later. He says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. 
the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Are you seeing that? Is the gospel actually changing you? Are there some things that you're leaving behind and some new things you're putting on? Listen, it's not instantaneous, but it is inevitable. You will grow and change if you're in Christ. Because the Bible says in Ephesians 2, for you, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for church good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So I'm wondering, man, are you, are you seeing the gospel change? This is the impact of the gospel. It's got to change the way you actually live. And if it's not, do you really believe Another important warning here, not only should Christians live like Christians, but also sometimes non-Christians live like better Christians than Christians do. Yeah, Felix actually showed love and grace to Paul. He did that. Um, But you need to know this. Is it the good works that saves us? No, no, clearly not, because the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, uh, read this with me, if you would, please. Let's read it together. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Okay, it's not our works that saves us. But the very next verse, verse 10, is for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So good works are going to come, but they don't save you. And again, talking to uh, people in a church, in the city of churches, man, your neighbor, your coworker, they may be giving money to all kinds of good causes and going and volunteering and doing all the things and even serving in their church. You can be coming here to redemption and you can be serving in children's ministry or you can be parking cars, you can be doing whatever. And your good works don't mean that you're saved. And as we witness the people in our city, we need to acknowledge the fact that just because they're, they know the gospel, just because they even have some elements of their life that seem like they know the gospel, it's not enough. And here's what I'm saying to you. We want to take the easy road, don't we? Oh, they're good people. They're probably saved. Woo! Don't have to witness to them. But it's really getting to know people. It's really spending time with them. And really figuring out what is it that you really believe and is the gospel actually changing you? Because the gospel will convince your head. The gospel will control your hands. And then lastly, this, write it down. The gospel will, must uh, convict your heart. The gospel must convict your heart. So Paul witnesses and witnesses and reasons and reasons two years Sometimes it takes a long time, two years at it. And what do we see with Felix? Well, unfortunately, let your eyes fall on verse 26. At the same time, he, Felix, hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. What was really on Felix's heart? He wanted church money. Now, I don't know what he wanted the money for. I don't think it was to give to missionaries. I think he probably wanted the money for wine, women, and song. Probably for the things that he didn't want to exercise self-control in 
or live righteously in. And so though he knew about Jesus, he wanted his sin more. His head knew the gospel. And even some of his actions, the actions of his hands showed the gospel. But his heart loved sin more than it wanted Jesus. And that just is sad, but it's reality. Because two things out of this. Number one, some people will never believe. And though 80% of me is sad about this story, 20% of me says, well, even Paul didn't have a 100% track record of his witness. <laughs> and so praise the Lord that sometimes even though I'm at it and at it and at it and at it, because um, here's the reality. I can't save anybody. You can't save anybody. That's a work of God, and God alone can do it. And, and so we just trust that. And here's the other thing that it tells you. Uh, even though some people will never believe, Paul never stopped witnessing. <laughs> And Paul keeps sharing the gospel and keeps sharing the gospel and keeps sharing the gospel. Yeah, I believe there are only some chosen to salvation, but here's the reality. I don't know who they are. So I'm just going to assume everybody's chosen and share the gospel that way. And we should have a fuel as we share the gospel for those very things. So I want to take a minute here. And um, again, a church of a lot of people who've grown up in the church If you know the gospel, and if you're doing gospel things, but you really know in your heart that you don't believe this, do you know why? It's because your heart loves the sin more than it loves or feels the need for Jesus. And so I need to say to you this morning, there is a coming judgment. And the sin may be fun for a lifetime. By the way, it won't be. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. But even if it did last for a lifetime, a lifetime is so small compared to eternity. And there is a coming judgment. And if you have played the game and played the game, I want to just put my finger, because this text reveals it, as to what's keeping you from actually believing. It's a heart desire for the sin. And there is an element here, very much, of choice. I'm going to choose Jesus. You need to. So if you're here this morning and, you've, and you're, okay, I fought, I fought, it's time to do something with that. Adam's going to come. Adam's going to play for us. And uh, it's a song that um, we used to sing a lot. We haven't sung it in a while, but I want all of us to contemplate on the words. It's talking about setting our hearts on Jesus. Because maybe you're here and you're like, okay, I do know Christ. I have believed. I am saved. So how does this message apply to me, right? So if you do know Christ, you're saved, what do you do with this message? Let me give you three things. First of all, number one, your heart, or your head needs reminded of the gospel again and again. You know this? 
your head needs reminded again and again about the truths of the gospel. You need the gospel for everyday living. Let me just give you an example in my marriage. So my marriage tells me that I have a holy, holy God who's laid down some rules for how I should treat Courtney and she should treat me. So we've got instruction from a holy, holy, holy God on how we ought to do marriage. But number two, we're not holy. I mean, she is, but I fall short. And we both fall short. We're both sinners. And I'm not shocked by her sin. And she's not shocked by my sin because we understand, of course, we're sinners. The gospel tells us that we sin. But we believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again. And we have found forgiveness in Christ. And because I've been forgiven, of course, I can forgive Courtney. And as Courtney's been forgiven, of course, she can forgive me because we're living in the gospel. Do you see it? The gospel changes my marriage. It changes how I work. It changes how I think. And our heads need reminded again and again about the gospel. Number two, your hands need tested again and again concerning the gospel. The Bible says to work out your own salvation. Do you know it? With fear and trembling. Is it really real for me? Is it really changing my life? Even if you think you know and you think you believe, it's a good thing to work that salvation out. You don't do good works to be saved, but good works are a result of salvation. And if it's not changing your life, is it real? And then number four, or number two, three here, uh, your heart needs to be one again and again with the gospel. Our hearts are so fickle. Heart idols are so attractive. What keeps me close to Jesus? Well, the fact that I'm a wretch, but he loved me anyway. The fact that I sinned, but I have his grace. Why would God save me? Why would God be so loving and so gracious to me? But he has, and that gospel wins my heart again and again. So let's do this together. Would you just bow your head with me and close your eyes? We're going to get a little old-fashioned here this morning, but I, I need to do this. If you're here this morning and you would say, you know what, I, this is it. I've been playing the game. I've been playing it for years. I've had the words. I've had the language. I've, but I know I don't believe. Today's the day you can surrender that to God right now. And it is a choice. And I'm telling you, eternity is coming. Choose today to believe in Jesus. And what you would need to do is simply pray a prayer like this, because the Bible says confess with your mouth. So you'd simply say something like, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't earn my way to heaven. So I want to ask you right now to save me. I believe that Jesus died for me and rose again. Would you please save me? And if you pray a prayer like that and you believe in your heart the things that you prayed, that's all it takes is that choice to believe in Jesus, to give up, turn from the sin, and to run after Jesus. Now, if you're in this room and you've done that and you know it, then let's do this, man. Let's remember the truths of the gospel and let's set our heart on the gospel. And let's do that tomorrow and Tuesday and every day, setting our heart on the things of the gospel to win our hearts again, remembering in our heads and acting with their hands the joy of the gospel. So, Father, we pray that you would do that in our lives. Do it all for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.
Let's stand and sing together.